Hello, everyone. Thank you for taking the time to join us for our podcast today. My name is Andy Calando. My name is Nia Manjuna. My name is Ariel Henricks. And my name is Elisa Ng. And together we make up the Lee Chandler investment team. Uh, we, we're really happy that you guys were all able to join us today. We got some very interesting information to talk to you all about today uh, during this podcast episode. Um, before we get started into our uh, sort of the, the nitty gritty of our, our details and our presentation today, uh, just a little information on Lee Chandler Enterprises. So Lee Chandler LLC is a financial uh, consulting firm that seeks to provide entrepreneurs and small businesses with investment opportunities for equity or creative finance solutions. Um, they specialize in business development, expansions, startups, funding markets, and executive strategies. Um, additionally, Lee Chandler truly prides itself on doing business with the utmost integrity and respect to clients. So if you or someone you know is seeking any of the aforementioned services, please consider making an appointment with uh, Lee Chandler representative and we're sure you will think it was a great decision. So in today's podcast, uh, we will be discussing our current economy as it pertains to mortgages specifically. Uh, breaking down, breaking this down into five subtopics and providing step-by-step insight into why millennials specifically are refinancing at such a high rate and how it relates to the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, at the end of our podcast, we hope that you all are able to have a clear understanding of the current state of mortgages and refinancing, um, and we will uh, also be opening it up for additional questions at the end. Great. So before we get into um, the mortgages side of things, uh, it's important to really understand market crashes and how that pertains to interest rates. So uh, as we know, in the past couple months with the whole COVID-19 situation, um, the market has seen steep decline. Uh, In general, market crashes are caused by panic when people fear that the worth of their investments will decline, so they start selling their shares. In this case, with the COVID-19 situation, people feared um, how this would affect the economy, and then so people were selling their shares left and right, So, for example, you know, if an investor sees a drop in stocks, they are more likely to withdraw their shares to minimize losses. Furthermore, uh, people are less likely to invest right now because people are losing their jobs, they're unsure about their financial futures, and in general, we're pretty unsure what our economy's future looks like. So, um, expectations and predictions of the future uh, impact investment strategies because they expect prices to drop lower than average and for their own safety they don't want to invest in the moment Uh, it's a pretty volatile situation at the moment so when the market crashes uh, our u.s government gets involved and the federal reserve uh, lowers interest rates in order to stimulate growth during a period of economic decline so uh, low interest rate environments are meant to stimulate economic growth by making it cheaper to borrow money for financing investments in both physical and financial assets. So think of this kind of like an incentive for people. Uh, Consumers are enticed by these low interest rates, so more people will start to, um, you know, get involved with mortgages. And so while you could look at it as lenders hurting from low interest rates, at the same time, they are going to be benefiting from these consumers being enticed in. So it's kind of a win-win situation. And as we heard from the previous section, today's millennials are quite savvy and they're really taking advantage of record low interest rates. And one way that they're doing this is by refinancing their homes. Before we further delve into this topic, let's define what refinancing is. Refinancing is the process of obtaining a new mortgage in an effort to reduce monthly payments, lower your interest rate, 
take cash out of your home for large purchases, or change mortgage companies. Most people refinance when they have equity on their home, which is essentially the difference between the amount owed to the mortgage company and the worth of the home. There are a couple types of refinancing. This includes cash out home equity, change the loan duration, lowering rates, changing the loan structure, and removing the mortgage insurance requirement. So in recent months, we've noticed that the refinancing activity for millennials in particular has just skyrocketed. So according to Joe Tyrell, who's the COO of Ellie Mae, and for those of you who don't know, Ellie Mae is a software company that processes 35% of U.S. mortgage applications. Tyrell mentioned that the Federal Reserve cut its target interest rate to near zero in March, and this caused interest rates to drop and gave millennial homeowners the opportunity to refinance to more favorable rates. The refinance share for older millennials, 30 to 40 years old, in March was 46%, and this is up 5% month over month, and more than double the refinance share of younger millennials, which is 21 to 29 years old, at 21%. The average interest rate for all 30-year loans closed by millennials in March was 3.66%. This is the lowest average rate since May of 2016, and this is down from 3.86% in February. What's interesting is that despite challenges such as lender limitations due to COVID and the surge in refinance applications, the time to close numbers are actually decreasing. The average time to close, or in other words, the average time it takes to transfer ownership of a property to the buyer, fell from 38 to 36 days. And to put this into perspective, average time to close for all loans dropped from 41 to 39 days during the same period. This drop might be attributed to sophisticated mortgage technology designed to make lender-borrower interactions more convenient and efficient. In these coming months, technology is really going to be an important factor in determining the ultimate success of mortgage companies. Lastly, Tyrell mentioned that prior to the pandemic, an increasing number of millennials were moving away from cities and into areas with, quote, more inventory and a lower cost of living. Tyrell predicts that we will see this trend expedite in these coming months. This is a lot of information. To wrap it up, uh, it's possible that the following may occur as a result of the COVID pandemic. We can see an increase in the number of millennial refinance applications an increase in the investment of technology designed to aid the borrower-lender process, an increasing number of millennials moving away from cities, and a faster average time to close. Well, at this point, you may wonder how failing mortgages differ from the Great Recession back in 2008. So the thing is, in 2008, there was a housing bubble that caused the economy to fail. So what happened was that investors invested in mortgage-backed securities which is basically a collection of different mortgages, and they began investing in it because they looked really safe. For instance, the housing prices were increasing and they were getting a higher rate of return. At the same time, credit agencies deemed these investments as safe and gave AAA ratings. As more investors began to join, lenders lowered their standards on mortgage and made loans to people with low income and bad credit, which is also known as subprime mortgages. However, as time, as time passed, people found themselves unable to pay their expensive houses or keep up with their mortgages, so they began defaulting, and home prices began to collapse. Additionally, lenders were stuck with 
bad loans, which resulted in some declaring bankruptcy. This ultimately affected the whole financial system, which led to a recession. So, however, we are currently not in that situation. COVID-19 is an external factor and global pandemic that is affecting the economy. The slow economic growth is largely due to the loss of income by workers and businesses. Additionally, the falling mortgage rates right now is largely due to investors piling into U.S. Treasury bonds as a safer investment. So this ultimately causes bond prices to rise and their yields, which are interest rates, to drop. Consequently, it affects the Treasury bond yields, causing mortgage rates to fail. So as you guys have mentioned, there's definitely a lot of very, very severe, mainly, um, or many of them quite unprecedented um, impacts um, at, in the short term as a result of the COVID-19 induced economic slowdown. And as one may suspect, there's also um, some very serious uh, potential long-term impacts that we've already started to feel a little bit. And that it's, you know, based on our research, it's very likely that we're going to be experiencing uh, for, for years or maybe even over the course of the next decade and, and beyond. So uh, one major category, and this is perhaps something that uh, impacts just about every working American out there, is the job market, you know, which of course is highly correlated to the uh, overall health of the um, American and the uh, global economy. So many small businesses, despite the um, unpre truly unprecedented um, uh, response by the Federal Reserve and by the federal government, so we're talking about monetary and fiscal policy there, uh, despite the unprecedented um, efforts that have been made to strengthen the economy and prevent total fallout um, during this COVID-19 pandemic, unfortunately, there's still going to be a lot of businesses that are permanently shutting down, that are closing their doors, that are going out of business. Um, but on the flip side of that, there's also the possibility of a shift towards increased electronic business models and the creation of new jobs and new businesses um, sort of in the wake of this COVID-19 disaster. When we look back to the 2008 crisis uh, in 2008 and the years following that in the sort of heat of that recession, we saw the, the genesis of Facebook, WhatsApp, Venmo, and many other um, e-commerce-based, electronic-based, website-based uh, businesses. And it's very likely that we'll see things, I mean, we've already seen a huge surge in the people of using Zoom, which we're actually using to record this podcast for you all right now. Um, so we've, we've already kind of started to experience this, and I'm confident, I, I think I speak for everyone when I say that we're all confident that um, over the, the next coming years, and perhaps even over the next decade and beyond, that we're really going to see um, an explosion uh, in these electronic businesses, which is kind of the, the positive light in all of us that we can be, we can be uh, hopeful and looking forward to. Another major um, long-term impact of the COVID-19 induced recession that we're experiencing right now is a shift in um, the structure of financial instruments and securities available to uh, investors, both individual private investors and institutional uh, investing entities. So to give a little bit of a background, let's talk about, since this podcast is about mortgages uh, specifically, let's talk a little bit about what's called mortgage path through securities. So um, let's say I represent a bank, for example, and this bank has issued $100 million worth of mortgages. So um, they can expect, along with interest based on certain market interest rates, they'll be, they'll be receiving a cash flow of $100 million at some point, which is the principal that's being repaid based on all those mortgages. What this bank can do is they can either package um, these mortgages into pass-through securities, or they can sell them to a third-party entity, which will uh, package them themselves, and then sell these pass-through securities as fixed-income uh, mortgage-backed securities to um, investors such as you or I, or to institutional investors like big Wall Street banks, like Goldman Sachs or Morgan Stanley. And usually what we see happening is 
Um, each of these mortgage-backed securities, like out of that $100 million, for example, it will be allocated into what's called tranches. So a tranche, it might sound like a little bit of an, an intimidating word if you don't know what it is already, but it's basically just a different category, a different subset of that total $100 million that's been packaged into individual pass-through securities. So let's say, for example, you have a simple structure that just has three tranches, let's call them tranche A, B, and C. And in most mortgage-backed security structures right now that, or that have existed for the past couple decades now, um, the major difference between tranche A, B, and C is just the order of who has the top priority or the top billing, so to speak, when uh, they are receiving um, the payment uh, as a result of people paying off these mortgages. And so that only really comes into play if people are either paying off their mortgages faster, such as what we're seeing right now with refinancing, or if people, um, due to whatever economic hardship they're experiencing um, or otherwise, are experiencing a situation where they're unable to pay their mortgages and they're defaulting on their loans. So these, um, what we're seeing specifically right now regarding people paying back mortgages faster, that's the um, sort of the, the highlight of what's known as prepayment risk. And just to sort of summarize this real quickly, prepayment risk is the possibility of those with outstanding mortgages repaying their principal, what would be considered by many to be too quickly, at least from the perspective of the uh, investors or the entities that created the mortgage-backed securities. It basically just means that people are paying back their mortgages faster, which is good for them because they're paying less interest, but it means your cash flows are coming quicker than what you would expect as the holder of these mortgage-backed securities. And that might sound like a good thing actually, but it can actually lead to what's known as reinvestment risk. So for example, right now we've talked about how um, the interest rates, uh, the market prevailing market interest rates are falling and that's leading to the refinancing of homes. So as people refinance their homes, they're paying off the old mortgage with what the money they just raised in a new mortgage to refinance. Um, and as a result, we're seeing huge waves of massive degrees of prepayment. So people are prepaying uh, investors or owners of these mortgage-backed securities are receiving um, their cash flows right now, and they're now being forced to either not reinvest at all, which is of course not preferable, or reinvest at lower prevailing market interest rates. So maybe if the interest rate was at 5%, then it goes down 200 basis points and it's at 3% now, which prompts people to um, refinance their homes. Now the people who own these mortgage-backed securities, the uh, securities are essentially being called in, even though it's not technically that because it's not a corporate bond, but it's very similar to the same sort of effects in terms of what, what's felt by the investors and the holders of these um, financial instruments. And as a result of that, they experience refinancing risk because instead of reinvesting at 5% again, they now have to reinvest at the lower 3%, therefore lower ROI, lower return on investment, and no investor wants a lower return on investment. So lots of times we've seen um, different um, tranche allocations with what's known as a sinking tranche or a sinking bond. And that's basically a tranche that absorbs all of the additional prepayment if people are prepaying faster. So it just all goes towards that uh, specific tranche, the sinker tranche. And as a result of that, the other tranches, let's say tranche A, B, and C still, um, are protected from additional prepayment, hence the prepayment risk and the refinancing risk uh, or the reinvestment risk. And um, the sinking uh, tranche absorbs it all. But what we've seen in recent months as a result of the COVID-19 slowdown is refinancing is happening, especially among millennials, on such a wide, wide scale, on such a massive, massive scale, such huge scope. Um, the sinker tranches are not large enough to absorb all of this uh, prepayment. So the sinker uh, tranches are being totally paid off, totally wiped out. And then tranche A, B, and C, which were designed to be protected from excessive prepayment risk, are now feeling the full front of it. Uh, essentially, you could think of it as like the sinker tranche as a bodyguard that's been gunned down and now the uh, the elites of tranche A, B, and C are now totally defenseless against uh, the attacks of prepayment.
And as a result, the holders of those uh, fixed, income, fixed income securities are going to be susceptible to reinvestment risk, which is what they were trying to avoid in the first place. So I personally think that we're going to see uh, a shift in the structure of these investment securities, these type of financial instruments, where the sinking tranche will have to be made a much larger proportion of that initial in our situation was 100 million. Maybe if it was 20% before, it might go all the way up to 30 or 40, 50%. Um, so as a result of that, you'll see a smaller portion of that, that cash flow being allocated to tranches that are designed to protect for prepayment, um, prepayment risk, which could lead to increased costs for those uh, investments, um, increased shifts and in people just go, saying, okay, I have to deal with this prepayment risk. And that can lead to increased volatility in the fixed income markets. Um, but overall, we're, I feel very confident that we're going to be seeing um, a shift at least in the structure and then whatever falls out uh, from there only time will really tell, but uh, it's, it's really fascinating to see how this sort of uh, institution of fixed income securities has been kind of like thrown to the wayside or is being forced to be thrown to the wayside because of, of this truly unprecedented time and the massive amount of refinancing that is leading us to reconsider how we're going to uh, be allocating these types of risk. All right. so. Thank you guys so much for uh, coming to listen to our podcast today. Just to give a brief conclusion on everything we talked about, you know, just as in 2008, uh, which was considered a near unprecedented um, financial catastrophe at this time, really comparable only to the Great Depression of 1929, the fallout from the COVID-19 pandemic will certainly be something to behold. Uh, from the structure of our economy, uh, when you look at business models, um, the shifts uh, in type of jobs that are available, loss of certain jobs, the regaining of other certain jobs, um, increased remote workers, for example, and all, all that type of wild and crazy stuff, um, to the altering of financial securities to better address risk factors, there are bound to be some truly historic financial and economic shifts in the coming months surrounding the impacts of COVID-19 and the ensuing economic downturn. And while unfortunately there are going to be people who are losing their jobs, there are also going to be opportunities for new industries to grow and new, new people um, to develop, you know, either going back to school or developing new skill sets for, you know, new, new jobs. And while certain people who have held financial in instruments for the time being have certainly felt um, certain levels of risk that they did not really account for in those investments. It'll be very fascinating to see how the financial services industry as a whole adjusts itself and adjusts uh, what it's making available to uh, institutional and individual investors to really decide um, how they're going to deal with these uh, risk factors in the future. So very interesting stuff ahead for sure. All right. Thank you all again for tuning in today and stay tuned for our next podcast within the next couple of weeks. Um, right before we close out for today, just like to open the floor of any of my colleagues here on the investment team would like to add anything uh, else regarding, uh, you know, current state of mortgage mortgages. Yeah. So, you know, uh, if you're a listener on this podcast, you may be wondering, should I take advantage of these low interest rates? And it really depends where you stand financially because while these low interest rates are very enticing, lenders are aware of that and they're aware that people are losing their jobs right now and may not be in the best financial position to uh, make use of loans. So you may actually kind of get tricked in the process and end up with stricter uh, mortgage terms. So it's really important to look at your credit score, where you stand uh, with credit, where you stand with uh, your savings and whatnot. And if you're in good financial position, I would suggest, yes, take advantage of low interest rates, look at maybe refinancing, and if not, uh, it's not the opportunity for you.
-hmm. And to piggyback on what Ariel said, I mean, as long as it's within your budget, you really need to make sure you're in the right position. It's the right time for you to refinance. Um, there will be some rate volatility and there will be job loss as well. So potential borrowers, borrowers really need to be cautious at this time when making such a big decision. Yeah, and to add on, if you're concerned about what happened in 2008, I think that that won't necessarily happen in, in this case because um, this is a different um, case and scenario and the outcome is not necessarily going to be the same. Absolutely. I totally agree with everything you all, you all just said. And then, you know, looking a little bit as well, you know, from the perspective of people who are potentially going to take out either business or personal mortgages, um, but also looking at the standpoint of people who are perhaps considering buying what are still outstanding uh, fixed income securities that are mortgage-backed securities. Um, like I said before, a lot of people are really experiencing prepayment and with that reinvestment risk uh, at a magnitude that they were not expecting before. So if you're someone that isn't particularly concerned about uh, prepayment risk and having your cash flows come due uh, sooner than before, um, you know, these are, uh, if you're investing in the proper securities, there's still, you know, high levels of, you know, uh, security in that, very low uh, degrees of credit risk or total default risk. Um, but if you're someone who's very particular on your uh, payment schedule, your cash flow schedule, um, your uh, avoidance of prepayment and reinvestment risk, um, this might not be the best time to uh, invest in anything that's really long term because odds are with the level of re uh, reinvestment or, um, yeah, refinancing, I should say, that we're having right now, odds are those long-term investments are gonna come due a lot sooner than you're expecting.